0: I have a new lady friend and she has listened to one episode so far as Spro only take on the Academy. And that was the last one. And she was like, he's really mean to you. I was like, he gets his comeuppance. I was like, just listen to them in reverse. And anytime Emily is on, what did uh, I do? That was mean because you wanted to talk about news. And I was like, yeah, well, fuck off with this <laughs> shit.
1: <laughs> hey, if you're listening, why don't you start a news podcast with, <laughs> with Spro and then you can help him get it out of his system, you know? Hello oh, there all you self-absorbed narcissists. And welcome back to Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, the
0: best and most esteemed podcast for Academy Award do-overs. I'm Lee. And I'm Spro. And before we get to our destiny being to rewrite Oscar history one gold man at a time, I wonder why you're calling our audience self-absorbed narcissists. <laughs> I was actually I was calling out to the
1: actors and filmmakers who lust for gold and spotlights. Uh,
0: okay. The ninety fifth Academy Awards are upon us, and today Lee and I are going to share our two cents on the nominations, potential winners, folks, and films who got the big snub, and take bets on whether or not someone will get slapped in the face. In the face. I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if there will be ever be another instance of of violence to that level (laughs) at any awards show, but. We do have a lot to talk about today. First, I have a question for you, Spro, and I have a lengthy preamble to said questions, so I hope you're sitting comfortably. Okay, wait, hold on. Okay. So when we were young, the Oscars had clout. People watched the ceremony. People watched the goddamn movies that were nominated, and I don't think it's quixotic to say that the Oscars mattered to a lot of people. But over the past several decades, those opinions really have shifted. People are repulsed by the extravagance, the industry backpatting, the blowhardy speeches, the campaigning. Hollywood in general, anti-academy vitriol crops up in even the most casual of internet conversations um, regarding the Oscars. And we've even acknowledged that there is a lot about the Oscars past and present that's gross and even sinister. So why the fuck does it still matter to us who wins and loses?
0: what do you want from me, Lee? What do you want? My soul or something? I'm going to tell you something, Lee. I'm going to tell you. They don't matter. All right. The Oscars doesn't matter. In the scheme of things, who wins best picture really doesn't affect what you do tomorrow. Best actor should not reward nor sully your attitude toward anything except some people take film seriously. And if the Oscars are going to tout themselves as the most important in the film business, who wins should matter to the people who take film seriously. I'm not going to ask the casual moviegoers out there to care about the Academy Awards anymore, much like I don't go up to a non-hockey fan and go, you don't know who won the Stanley Cup? A person who can't tell the difference between a Spielberg and a Scorsese film needn't apply to the Oscars. Someone who believes, and maybe even angry tweeted about, Rachel Zegler not getting invited last year until she did and made a stupid, snarky comment about it on the stage, and binge watch season four of you on Netflix instead of tuning in for all I care. The Oscars need to be for us folk who, for some self-obsessed reason, like to memorize the names of crew members. Hmm. It needs to be for the people in the industry. And just like money ruined boxing and politics, the Academy needs to find a way to clean up the backroom dealings when it comes to their process so that us people, joyously arguing on Reddit about the merits of some awards, can feel just in our fandom. Follow-up question. Do you think that continuing
1: to support the Academy Awards says something psychologically about you and me? Are we
0: the self-absorbed narcissists? Us having a podcast makes us self-absorbed narcissists. Mm, Fair. Us supporting the Academy Awards means we are distracting ourselves from having something better to do, which is fine. Agreed. We are a small crowd that brings on a lot of ire for caring about the Academy Awards, and the usual argument is, who cares about a billion-dollar industry where a bunch of rich people are patting themselves on the back? To which I say, have fun with your college football championships, which is also a billion dollar industry where the players aren't getting paid and are getting brain damage for your entertainment and leave me the fuck alone. Whew. All right. Well, that was a
1: thorough response <laughs> and I, I feel as though I touched a nerve, but now I do kind of wish that we had someone here to proffer a response in defense of sports. I didn't even really watch
0: the Super Bowl this year. Hmm, I, I just didn't care. We here in Cleveland obviously take our sports very seriously, much like us here at Spro and Lee Take on the Academy take our coffee very seriously. But it has come to a point now where like we're building statues for people that have left us. It's just crazy. And so so like the, the vitriol that comes on the Academy Awards, like who cares about all this pomp and circumstance? It's like sometimes it's fun just to get out of things for a while. And there's one award show a year. There's far more than just one award show
1: a year, but I, I, I hear what you're saying.
0: I do. So the only other one that I want to get into and maybe next year is the Independent Spirit Awards. I'm down with that. Maybe that's the awards that I really want to start getting into because they're probably the farthest thing away from the Academy.
1: Let's put a pin in that for now and just uh, let's get to what we're here to talk about, which is the 95th Academy Awards, which are Sunday, March 12th. And thankfully, they'll be led by an actual host this year in Jimmy Kimmel.
0: Fun fact, which you probably know, and if you don't, they'll probably show you. Jimmy Kimmel Live is filmed literally right across the street from the Dolby Theater. If you visit Hollywood, you could take a tour of the Dolby, see some actual Oscars, stand on the stage and look out and dream, and then you could walk across the street and stand in line to see Jimmy Kimmel Live. When my mom visited me, that was her favorite part so she still watches the Oscars? Last year, she scrolled Facebook loudly while they were on. But other than that, the other than the Oscar slap, that was, that was a boring show. So I don't really blame her. I mean, they did have a DJ.
1: <laughs> Hopefully this year's ceremony will be better, but I'm not holding my breath. Anyway, let's talk about the awards. Let's make some picks. Let's lament some snubs and just talk about movies. But before we do that, do you have any more vamping to do, Mr. Spro? Like in the form of a Oscar fun fact brought to you by Odd Dog Coffee? For some of us, coffee is more than just a pick-me-up. For some of us, coffee is as important as who should have won Best Actor 2022. We take our coffee seriously. We're passionate, eccentric, and a little odd. And for us,
0: there's Odd Dog. Odd Dog Coffee is a mobile cafe and coffee retailer from Cleveland, Ohio. They offer committed coffee drinkers a reimagined version of flavored coffee. They promise you a high quality roast profile to create a solid bean. When they flavor their beans, they don't spray them down with cheap, stale chemicals. No, no, no. They use fresh ingredients like cacao nibs, cayenne pepper and cinnamon sticks. What you experience is a balanced bean combined with a touch of spice to create a uniquely delicious cup of coffee you can drink every day. head over to odddogcoffee.com
1: where you can choose from three original roasts, cardamom and cloves bite, the good boy blend of just the beans, and finally, my favorite, cinnamon, cayenne, and cacao. And if you're in the Cleveland area, check out their online menu at odddogcoffee.com and visit them at the Walter Stinson
0: Community Park in University Heights, Ohio. Like film nerds, Odd Dog is at home with its dedication, comfortable in its uniqueness, cozily familiar, yet distinctly odd. The movies we watch are too special to be normal, and the coffee you drink is too precious to be anything but Odd Dog. You might have heard about a little controversy in this year's Academy Awards with the nomination of Andrea Riseborough's role as Leslie in the $27,000 box office film To Leslie. Miss Riseborough is a 41-year-old actress who starred in four movies last year. You might recognize her from Battle of the Sexes with Emma Stone or in an episode of Black Mirror. The woman has been casted everywhere playing everything, which means she must be a great actress. Well, shouldn't great actresses be nominated for such things as Best Actress? You might ask, what's the controversy? Well, the controversy is the same thing that Lee and I talk about here all the time. This damn campaign process. This highly elite award show, which is supposed to be the crown jewels of the whole process, is tainted by money and power. Big studios and big names will always dominate the Oscar stage, while Oscars can be traded for favors. It's why we've been going streeping, and why we've been hating on Spielberg. It's Hollywood being either mesmerized, obsessed, or aroused by the celebrity of some and not the product that person is putting out. So while everyone who has had their movie play in a Los Angeles theater for at least a week is eligible, it's usually only the ones who either A, have star power, B, have nominations in other award shows like the Golden Globes or Independent Spirit Awards, or C, have a big studio with a lot of money to run ad campaigns to get their movie nominated that will actually even see the Oscar stage. Knowing this, you could almost guarantee that most of these nominations are not correct if we're looking for the best of. If you're like Lee and I, you are simply hopeful that a best of made the list, and sometimes they are, and sometimes they're Steven Spielberg. So, look. Andrea Riseborough got her nomination through a word-of-mouth campaign started by Edward Norton praising her performance on Twitter. Gwyneth Paltrow followed up Norton's tweet by saying Riseborough should win all the awards, end quote. Soon, a bunch of A-listers were jumping on this bandwagon, and when the dust settled, Oscar showrunners realized that the makers of Too Leslie were able to get their movie in front of as many of their A-list friends as possible mccormick wrote in one of her mass emails which were published by vanity fair quote the movie cannot afford any fyc ads so this letter and invitation will have to do instead movies like to leslie were an endangered species in need of support i worry unless we all support small independent filmmaking it'll just get eaten up by marvel movies and go away forever as the new york times reports riseborough's team bypassed the fyc ad industrial complex entirely opting to wage a week-long war powered mostly by word of mouth instead of an expensive multi-month campaign that would have involved roundtables, parties, red carpet appearances, film festival tributes, and endless press hits. Riseboro had just pulled off what Scar in The Lion King refers to as the coup of the century, and this is where people like Lee and I start to cheer and then have our hearts broken by the evil empire. Rival awards strategists began working the phones, suggesting that her grassroots campaign may have run afoul of Oscar rules. Why? Because it didn't spend the money necessary to get a nomination. What kind of corruption is that? And as the Riseboro surge sunk in, her surprise nomination started to get smeared in the media by the only way power brokers know how go after her whiteness. Now, Riseboro's grassroots nomination have stolen away a nomination from the Woman King star Viola Davis and the till led Daniel Deadweiler. This is what the rival overpaid underscrutinized award strategists say. If those two black actresses had been nominated alongside the Everything Everywhere All at Once star Michelle Yao, as many pundits were expecting, it would have been the first time in Oscar history that the Best Actress race featured a majority of women of color. So this is how the outsmarted rich and elite get their vengeance. Rise Bro is not a hero who bucked the system. She's an example of the system's racism. In an essay for The Hollywood Reporter published Tuesday, the Woman King director, Gina Prince-Bythewood, did not mention Riseboro by a name, but alluded to the, quote, social capital, end quote, that had helped propel her to a nomination. Quote, Black women in this industry, we don't have that power. There is no groundswell from privileged people with enormous social capital to get behind black women. There never has been, end quote. To me, someone tell Gina prince by the wood that Viola Davis is herself enormous social media capital and never infer otherwise. So, in the end, did this campaign break any rules? In a statement released on January 27th, the Academy announced it would review the campaign procedures of the year's nominees to make sure none of its guidelines were violated. You know, campaign guidelines since this award show I love so much doesn't really care if the best of anything wins. It's the best campaign at the end of the day. Though Riseboro and Two Leslie weren't mentioned specifically, a reference to Grassroots Campaign in the statement all but confirmed that her nomination was the subject of this investigation. Her nomination won't be rescinded, although nominations have been twice before for improper, cheap, word-of-mouth campaigning. Honestly, this controversy makes me even more sad for the Academy Awards, not because Riseboro found a way in, but because the Academy found a way to tarnish his name, to me, more this year than any year in the past from what I understand, part of
1: the investigation is hinged on, um, you know, the people that were pushing for Riseboro to get the nomination. I guess they were sharing the shortlist of nominees with people on Twitter. I was looking up the the Academy secrecy. Do you know why they keep everything secret now? Because it used to just be like, hey, these are the people that won. If you want to join us for the the awards, we're going to give them a award. <laughs> so there was, no, there was no surprise for a couple of years. Right. And then... The LA Times released all the winners one year and the Academy
0: was like, you dick. (laughs) (laughs) So they were like, "Now it's a secret. It's all boiled down to the campaign process. Like, well, the campaign process got ruined. The campaign process is what's ruining your show. It's just gross all around. Taints
1: the the whole process, which is why Spro and Lee take on the Academy is so needed in these trying times. Yeah. That's why we're popular. Well- I guess to follow your Oscar fun fact, I don't know what order you want to go in, but maybe we should start by talking about Best Actress.
0: All right. So we have the Best Actress category. This has Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie, Kate Blanchett from Tar, Ana de Armas for Blonde, Michelle Williams for The Fabelmans, and Michelle Yao, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yo. <laughs> Yao. It's not Yao like a cartoon <laughs> cat.
1: <laughs> Yao. All right. So- What are the snubs in this category? At least the snubs that are being talked about.
0: Two that everybody wants to talk about is the two African-American actresses. At the top of the list, that's Viola Davis for The Woman King and Daniel Deadweiler and Till. Thoughts? I mean, Viola Davis is always great. She should
1: always be nominated. The one on here that has me, I mean, there's two on here that have me, that give me pause. The first being Ana de Armas for Blonde. This movie is is roundly despised.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is very
1: surprising. I'm so done with the mimicry, dude. I'm so over the Austin Butlers playing Elvis, the Ana de Armas playing Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> Renee Zellweger playing Judy Garland, and then, of course, Rami Malek playing Freddie Prince Jr. or whatever that guy's name
0: was. <laughs> Freddie Mercury. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Rami Malek's getting ready to star, apparently,
0: in a Buster Keaton biopic. Stop it. I would probably Danielle Deadweiler, I would put over Viola Davis. There was something about The Woman King that read weird for me, which Mm -hmm. is Americans and British people playing Africans the colonizer playing Africans. Oh. <laughs> so you had a uh, John Boyega in there as well. And I was like, that dude's straight British. It was like in West Side Story where, you know, they were like, we finally got a Latinx to play Maria in West Side Story. And it was like, but Maria is Puerto Rican and you got a Colombian. So when it came to like the Woman King, I was like, you couldn't find like Africans to play the Africans? <laughs> I don't know. The whole okay. authenticity. I liked Viola Davis in the role, but for me, it was Viola Davis playing a part that maybe she shouldn't have. So. Do you think the black community feels the same way, or do you think they're just happy that a movie like The Woman King got made? I don't think anybody, one person, should speak for the black community, so I'm not going to. So you knock Ana de Armas out
1: and pop in Deadweiler? Yeah. What about the other one that gives me pause? Michelle Williams for The Fablemans.
2: That time when I hit you in in Phoenix when I... God, you remember...
0: Not really.
2: Oh, for the love of God, it's not like I spent my whole life hitting you. Once, I hit you once. Should have been memorable.
3: Before the swimming test.
2: Yes, before the swimming test, yes. I, I, I I slapped you on your back. As hard as I could, I screwed up your trials and you—you you couldn't get your merit badge, and then you couldn't make Eagle Scout. Mom, I made Eagle and Scout. What I, you know, I, know, I a goddamn mark on your skin in the shape of my hand, and I need you to say you forgive me for doing that.
3: Oh, okay. I because. Forgive
2: you. Because. Because you're my kid. Mom, I
3: forgive.
0: You.
2: And 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 my kids mean more to me Mom, than anything you. else on the earth. I because because you. please please because how am I ever going to forgive myself? I
3: can't. Mom, I I I. I forgive you, the eggs are burning.
1: So there was some discussion that if she had gone for the Best Supporting Actress, that she would have had a more legitimate chance, but I guess they pushed her for Best Actress.
0: She pushed herself for Best Actress. oh. If you listen to the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter podcast, where he does interviews with everybody, this was the one where, I think it was last year, where I was like, I didn't like Kirsten Dunst until I listened to this interview, and now I really like Kirsten Dunst. Opposite way now for (laughs) Michelle Williams. Because she was talking about how like she thought this was her performance and this was her time and da-da-da-da. And I was like, the performance wasn't it and this isn't her time. And it just seems like a very poor self-reflection with so this Mia Goth for Pearl then instead of Oh um, my sorry. gosh, Mia goth for Pearl then. <laughs> yes. I've totally forgot about that. I'm glad we're doing this. <laughs> Mia, by the way, Mia, if you're listening, um,
1: we'd love to have you on the show. Uh <laughs> As far as who's going to win, it's going to be Blanchett again. And while it's it's super cool that she's going to have three Oscars and be counted amongst the Nicholson's and the Streeps, man, if Tar had been any other year, this this would be Michelle Yeoh's Oscar. I'm still hoping she upsets.
0: I agree. I like Blanchett. I mean, fuck, we've talked about her a lot on this podcast about how much we love her. But I have to say, the interview scene at the beginning of Tar, she was not the best actor even on that stage. That interviewer played it perfectly, and you could tell Kate was reading her lines. So for me, it's a difficult part to watch of an actress I like. Did you get the same feeling when watching Tar, like that interview scene?
1: No, no, I didn't. Because then in context, when you see the end of the movie, it all makes sense. It sounds like she's reading her lines because she kind of is. She's on a stage, so she's putting on airs and she's not that person. She's a a fraud.
0: Okay. I like that take. I do want to point out though, while we're doing this, that the reason why Spro and Lee take on the Academy exists is because anywhere else, when talking about these nominations and snubbery and everything like that, People will tell you who got snubbed, but they'll never tell you who they should take the nomination away from because they're playing the political game. Here on Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, we're going to tell you exactly who did not deserve the nomination <laughs> and the snubs that should like move themselves up. So I just want to point that out because now as I'm reading all the trades and being like, this person got snubbed and this person got snubbed, nobody goes and they should have gotten it over this person because that would be mean. And really, it's not mean, it's honest. And that's why we're here. So we knocked Best Actress out of the way. We're left with a whole bunch more.
1: How do we approach this?
0: now there's 22 other categories. There used to be 23 categories, but they um, combined best sound design and best sound mixing to best sound. So 22 other categories. I feel like we should reverse the order and not really talk about the shorts because I don't know how many people out there have like watched the shorts. And then you're going to go on to talk about the shorts though. (laughs) Yeah, I am going to talk about because every category is important and really you can watch the shorts. The shorts are everywhere. Like in the best animated short film, you can you could watch the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse on Apple TV. You could watch The Flying Sailor on YouTube and Ice Merchants is also on YouTube and My Year of Dicks, which is greatest the- title ever. <laughs> My Year of Dicks is on Vimeo. The only one that you can see that's not currently streaming anywhere is An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake, and I think I believe it is. I was going to say, if you're in the Cleveland area, the Capitol Theater on West 65th Street will always play the shorts before the Academy Awards. But I just noticed that Regal Cinemas is currently playing the shorts, which is, I think, fantastic. It looks like the movie theaters all over the place are re-releasing these films for the Esker season. I really feel like people need to go out and see some of the stuff that they're going to be good movies. They're Oscar dominated. They're going to be good movies. They're not going to be a waste of your time. So just go out, support your theater in your area so it sticks around and watch some of these shorts. Then in the best live action short film category, Le Papel is on Disney+. Plus. Night Ride is on YouTube. And the ones that are not currently streaming are An Irish Goodbye, Evalu, and The Red Suitcase. And then for best documentary short, you can watch two on Netflix, which I did. I highly recommend. They're both like 40 minutes. The Elephant Whisperers and the Martha Mitchell effect. The Elephant Whisperers was a date night for me. I recommend it. Hall Out is on YouTube. Stranger at the Gate is on YouTube. And then the one that's not currently streaming is How Do You Measure a Year? minutes. <laughs> or How About Love? So those are the shorts. If you are so inclined, if you can get out, usually it's like an hour and 20 minutes in the theater. I highly recommend that as an escape for you because you see each short and then there's like maybe a four minute pause between each of them where you can turn to your whoever you brought or your group of friends and just be like, well, I like that one. Well, I didn't like that one as much as this one. You know, like it is a really fun night out on the town. Cool. Can we skip best music then? No, because best original song of the Oscars is probably the one Oscar that I don't understand because it's never a good song. <laughs> it's never something that I'm going to put on my playlist. The Best song in La La Land was Another Day of Sun. And then at the Oscars, we got City of Stars.
4: Yeah, Like pretty bad. fuck
0: bad. All right, so let's keep pushing through this bullshit. All right. Um, So best music. The song title is Applause from Tell It Like a Woman, music and lyrics by Diane Warren. Then there's Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop. Then there's Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, music and lyrics by Thames, Rihanna, Ryan Coogler and Ludwig Garonson. Natu Natu from RRR, music by M.M. Kirovani, lyrics by Shandra Bose, and then This Is A Life from Everything Everywhere All At Once, music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski, lyrics by Ryan Lott. I don't know applause. I don't remember Hold My Hand. Lift Me Up is the kind of song that the Oscars just gravitate toward. Like, oh my gosh, like, this is so empowering. This is a life I don't remember. Natu Natu is the one that everybody talks about. It's got its own dance number in RRR. So I can see this one being just the lock and running away with it. Regardless when they're performed on stage, I'm pretty sure Natu Natu is going to fucking rock your socks off. <laughs>
1: I'm okay with Rihanna winning. I'm very happy to see David Byrne on this list. And I can't, um, I'm can't. surprised you don't remember the Top Gun song because it is, Jesus, it couldn't possibly drip more cornball schmaltziness. It's at the end, obviously, over the credits.
0: If you tell me Top Gun song, I'm going to think like a Top Gun ballad, I'm going to think Take My right. Breath Away. So like, I don't know what Hold My Hand is, but I know Hold My Hand is no Take My Breath Away.
1: All right. This is the music category I actually enjoy.
0: Best music, original score. There's Volker Bertelman for All Quiet on the Western Front, Justin Hurwitz for Babylon, Carter Burwell, The Banshees of Inisherin, Sun Locks, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and John Williams, The Fablemans. Your boy, John Williams up there. Everybody's boy. Not with the Fablemans. Oh, well, I mean, they can't all be bangers. The only movie I have not seen yet, and that was pretty much a personal decision against three hour long movies was Babylon. Babylon, same.
1: (laughs) And that's the front runner from what I hear to win this award.
0: Yeah. You're not supposed to necessarily remember the music. The music is there for mood, but like the two ones that stand out for me is the Banshees of Inner Sheeran and All Quiet on the Western Front. So to me, it's a two-person race, and I wouldn't mind either of those two winning. And Everything Everywhere All at Once was masterfully put together. So if they're like, we're going to give it to them, I'd be like, okay. I don't remember the music, though, from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, see, I'm the same way. I agree with you completely. I've listened to the Banshees of
1: Inesheron soundtrack about... 20 times now. Oh, and as long as we're on the topic, every year I put together these playlists on Spotify, which plucks music from the movies that we talked about. And I got some Banshees on this year. So it's all under Spro and Lee take on the Academy season one playlist, season two playlist season. But back to these. Yeah. Banshees is a great soundtrack. Uh, Carter Burwell has been making great music forever, even in bad movies like the Twilight movies. Carter Burwell's score is very mysterious. It almost kind of sounds like it could be from a, a like a video game, like Hollow Knight, or even a movie like Coraline. There's there's bells. It even sounds a little Harry Potterish at times. But it's got a very mysterious, eerie sense to it. But Volker Bertelmann's score for All Quiet on the Western Front is minimalism at its best. And it's crazy too because they he incorporates electronic sound into this. Yeah. But it's that one just bellowing I don't even know how to describe it it's not a screech it's almost like an alarm and I don't know if you'll be able to find that and play that for people but like when that happened at the beginning of the movie I was like oh shit that movie got me (laughs) (laughs) parts of that movie got me it's not as good as
0: I thought it was going to be after I probably pumped it up to yeah um sorry you asshole i brewed ruined everything. Now the score and whatnot gave you the kind of feeling like a tank was running over you. Or coming um, to run over you. Yeah, so I
1: really like it. Yeah, I'd be happy with either one of those. But for right now, the front runner would be Justin Hurwitz for Babylon. I don't have any snubs in this category, I'm blanking. But my guess is that John Williams the Fablemans probably could have been subbed out for something else. Funny like how to- you could just tell that. <laughs> well. I mean, he's the Meryl Streep of best original score, if we're being real here. There you go. So you want to talk about best sound? Seriously?
0: Yeah. And I want you to read all the names. Do
1: it. Uh, So All Quiet on the Western Front is up for best sound. Avatar, The Way of Water. The Batman. Elvis. And Top Gun Maverick. I mean, Elvis seems like the winner, right? Because it's a musical. But then you think about the sound in Top Gun Maverick. I don't know how they're able to do those kinds of scenes without doing ADR.
0: But. Excuse if, me, you uh, didn't read any of the goddamn names. Because <laughs> nobody knows these names. People are going to be like zoning they, out. What if they listen to our episode? Like they want to hear their names. Mm. Perhaps they, mispronounced by you. Okay. All Quiet on the Western Front
1: Victor Prasil, Frank Cruz, Marcus Stemmler, Lars Ginzel, and Stefan Court. For Avatar The Way of Water, Julian Haworth, Gwendolyn Yates, Whittle, Dick Bernstein, Christopher Boys, Gary Summers, and Michael Hedges. For the Batman, Stuart Wilson, William Flies, Douglas Murray, and Andy Nelson. For Elvis, David Lee, Wayne Pashley, Andy Nelson, and Michael Keller. And for Top Gun Maverick, Mark Weingarten, James H. Mather, Al Nelson, Chris Burden, and Mark Taylor.
0: Good job. The only one that you flubbed on was the Batman for William Files, not William Flies. Ah. So let's move on to Best Visual Effects. We have Frank Petzold for Victor Mueller, Marcus Frank, and Camille Jaffar for All Quiet on the Western Front, Joe Letterly, Richard Bainham, Eric Sandin, and Daniel Barrett for Avatar, The Way of the Water, for The Batman, Dan Lemon, Russell Earle, Anders Langlands, and Dominic Tui. For Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Jeffrey Bauman, Craig Hammock, R. Christopher White, and Dan Sudek. And then Top Gun Maverick, Ryan Tuttup, Seth Hill, Brian Litston, and Scott R. Fisher. We've talked about it before. I do think this should be two separate categories of visual effects and practical effects. Mm. I can't off the top of my head figure out like a practical effect category, but mainly I think like you would see horror films for that, which would be super cool. Visual effect, like I guess if you can't tell that it's visual effects, I would take Wakanda Forever out just because like, I don't know, Marvel... (laughs) I pretty much like go and sit down and be like, this is all fake. This is all green screen. Like, you can't convince me not anymore. So then, Avatar The Way of Water should make you feel the exact same way. Yes. I walked out of Wakanda Forever and was like, eh, I don't think I like the water storyline of Wakanda Forever. Like, I was shitting on that. And then I saw Avatar The Way of the Water and I was like, oh my gosh, that was visually fun. That was amazing. So. I liked Wakanda forever. I didn't think it was spectacular. People are saying like, it got snubbed for Best Picture because the first one got nominated for Best Picture. And it's like, the sequel should be nominated for Best Picture because the original one was like, get the fuck out of here. Dumb take.
1: Well, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Avatar The Way of Water is probably going to collect this Oscar. So let's go ahead and move on to- All right best writing original screenplays bro
0: <sighs> this is my favorite category one of two so we got Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inner Sheeran, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Ostlin for A Triangle of Sadness. So I think Martin McDonough will win for
1: Banshees. And I really hope he does because I think this is probably the only award that his movie is going to. And it's the best cinematic offering he's yet made, in my opinion. But you are the screenwriter, so I will defer to you.
0: Well, nobody's reading them, right? So yes, who knows? that's true. <laughs> everything Everywhere was probably the hardest to close as many holes as possible. Like, There's probably a whole lot of rewrite, 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 going over, making sure everything works, making sure everything makes sense. There's definite skill there. Tar, to me, feels like a stage play more so. And in a way, I would love to reward that kind of writing. It's got long scenes, lots of dialogue and character. The arc was played out very well. A lot of people that I know in my circle that was like, well, I watched Tar because you like the Oscars and I know it's an Oscar favorite. And I was like, Ugh. I wouldn't have recommended Tar for everyone just because it is long and it's drawn out. And if I didn't see it in the theater, it would have been a hard hang for me to like continue on with in my living room. But it is really good writing. And in a way, the monologues of Triangle of Sadness stand out to me too. But I'm fine with the playwright, McDonough, winning. I guess all I could say is... Fuck the fablements, And it's huh, people shouting exposition at each other. I mean, I was alone in the theater when I watched it. I screen recorded about 10 seconds and sent it to you randomly. Obviously, I didn't know what I was watching, but it was a random scene of Seth Rogan and Paul Dano talking amongst car headlights. And I was like, do you hear this dialogue? It's off. It's gross. It's wrong. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's literally just trying to make exposition sound important and really this this nomination should not be there. Somebody got snubbed. I don't know who, but it's right here with Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner. I guess what I like about The Banshees of In a
1: Sharon is it felt like something I'd never seen before. I've seen breakup stories, but I've never seen it between two male friends and I've never seen it done with such heart and such wonderful characters. I just think Banshees is perfect. As I said, it's my favorite movie of this year, and I've watched it many times now, and I hope he wins for that.
0: We'll see. But that's the fun thing. Like That's where you could kind of go like, Martin McDonough is a great filmmaker, and will continue to make great films, and we'll continue to follow him, where Damien Chazelle is on a downslope. Martin needs to be celebrated, and Damien needs to have the coin purse snatched away from him. All right. Next. So- Yep, best writing, adapted screenplay. So this is Edward Berger, Leslie Patterson, and Ian Stokel for All Quiet on the Western Front. Ryan Johnson for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. Kazuo Ishiguro for Living... Aaron Krueger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie. And Story by Peter Craig and Justin Marks for Top Gun Maverick. I cannot fucking believe that that movie <laughs> is nominated. Go ahead. And then Sarah Polly for Women Talking. Speaking of
1: talking, I'm not going to talk because I want to hear your opinion on this one.
0: All right. So Surprise Glass Onion was nominated. You can't convince me it's one of the top five scripts of the year. We need a word for campaigned and like bought. That was a bot nom, like Netflix bought that one. Likewise, Aaron Kruger should never be nominated for an Oscar. If you go to Aaron's IMDb, his top four films he's known for are The Ring, Arlington Road, Top Gun Maverick, Dumbo. And if you're still unconvinced, he's a writer on the three Transformer movies you hate more than the other two. Look. Lee has an opinion on Top Gun Maverick. One, I think it's tainted by the fact that he didn't see Top Gun Maverick in the theater. And he saw it like six months after everybody else did. And he also didn't like the original. And I told him, you will like Top Gun Maverick as much as you like Top Gun. And that is the fascination that everybody has with Top Gun Maverick is that it's a sequel decades later that actually lives up to its original because of this nostalgia and because that we weren't wronged by a sequel, for whatever reason, people think that we should celebrate Top Gun Maverick. And I don't think that's the case. And I definitely don't think it's the case that we should celebrate Top Gun Maverick as an adapted screenplay off of the original because it's not great. Every scene
1: with him and Jennifer Connelly is
0: terrible. Everyone. No scene with Jennifer Connelly is terrible. Oh, those scenes, those scenes are terrible. (laughs) I really like Jennifer Conn And so I like hot wings.
1: But if you you serve me hot wings in a fucking truck stop urinal, I'm not going to eat them.
0: What the fuck does that mean? You know (laughs) what that means. (laughs) But like we say, Academy of Voters don't read. They don't read the scripts. They're not going to... I doubt that they even read the books that these scripts are based off of. Who's voting on this category? Other writers. So wouldn't you say
1: a good majority of them are probably reading them cuz that would be your approach, right?
0: That would be my approach, but I'm better, better than, than everybody. <laughs> it's
1: attitudes like that that really need <laughs> need to be need to be cut down and put in their place sometimes.
0: But here's the thing, and I will do more research on this. I wonder if the academy shares the screenplays or these are just screeners that they send out? If they shared the screenplays, then yeah, maybe people are doing their due diligence. Maybe they're sending out PDFs, but I doubt it. There's definite style in writing a screenplay, and that should be what we are really looking at with these awards, not whether or not a director and writers and editors and production designers and costume and makeup artists, whether or not they were able to bring the script to life, but whether or not the writer did an amazing job of putting black marks on a white page and... Coming up with something amazing. With all that being said, should we just say that it's going to be Kazuo Ishiguro as the best bet? I don't, th- nobody's talking about living.
1: I don't think so. I imagine, in the spirit of spreading the wealth, Sarah Polly's probably going to take the Oscar for Women Talking, which I haven't had a chance to see yet, uh, but I am excited to see.
0: So let's move on. Best animated feature film Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots' The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. And I think this year is the year that the one that you liked, Pinocchio, is going to win. Yeah, I sure hope so. I mean,
1: I haven't seen all of these, but I do want to say about Turning Red. I was excited to watch this movie and I got about 45 minutes in before I couldn't take it anymore. It made me feel genuinely bad for people with kids. You know how kids watch the same shit over and over? If I had a kid who liked this movie and made me watch it over and over, I'd hold their head underwater and it would be worth it. Jesus. And I'm in. surprised
0: that you're saying like 45 minutes in. Like the opening five minutes, to me is so adult space. cringe. Yeah, yes. like
2: the number one rule in my family: honor your parents. They're the supreme beings who gave you life, who sweated and sacrificed so much to put a roof over your head, food on your plate, an epic amount of food the least you can do in return is every single thing they ask. Of course, some people are like, be careful. Honoring your parents sounds great, but if you take it too far, well, you might forget to honor yourself. Luckily, I don't have that problem. (laughs) I'm Maylin Lee. Ever since I turned 13, I've been doing my own thing, making my own moves, 24 7, 365! I wear what I want, say what I want, and I will not hesitate to do a spontaneous cartwheel if I feel so moved! Oh, crap! Not to brag, but being 13 means I'm officially a grown up! At least according to the Toronto Transit Commission. Good for you. Oh, about the hustle. Am
0: I right? So I think I mentioned it on the show before, but my age group of the students that I teach is fifth to eighth grade. And I was like, ooh, the new Pixar, let's throw this in. And they immediately were like, what is this? And then 20 minutes in, they're like, Mr. Spro, I think this is about periods. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And they're like, this is definitely about periods. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. By the end, they were all kind of like leaving the room and being like, nope, this isn't it. Yeah, but it's not the only animated film out there. Like you had Disney's Strange World. Like it's weird that Disney and Pixar, their empire and their their stranglehold on the best animated feature film, like it's gone. Which I applaud. Yeah, more variety, please, and thank you. Best international feature film. There's All Quiet on the Western Front, Argentina, 1985. Close. EO and The Quiet Girl. I think this is a two-picture race between All Quiet on the Western Front and EO. I did not get a chance to see EO, but all my film industry friends say that they were pleasantly surprised that EO made it because that was one of their favorite films of the year. I'm surprised you
1: said that. I think Close and The Quiet Girl are making a pretty, pretty good push right now too.
0: All right. But so fuck Argentina 1985. I you have imagine, no shot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I tried watching
1: Argentina 1985. It's on Amazon Prime, but it's dubbed. There's no version that they offer that's in a, it's a original language and audio. So, I, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can't, I, can't, I can't do this. This is irritating the living <laughs> shit out of me. But I do think just because of its accessibility for so long, I think this one's going to go to All Quiet on the Western Front.
0: Cool. Which was one of my favorite films. Best documentary feature, All That Breeze, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Fire of Love, A House Made of Splinters, and Navalny. I honestly cannot give you any kind of take on this. I think it's going to be All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Best film editing. The top three movie making categories for the Oscars should be best director, best writing, best editing. So, and I think best film editing is kind of swept under the rug for most casual watchers of the Academy Awards, but best film editing is so important. And so I think. Giving its just due, you got Mikkel E.G. Nielsen for The Banshees of Inner Sheeran, Matt Villa and Jonathan Redman for Elvis, Paul Rogers for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Monica Willey for Tar, and Eddie Hamilton for Top Gun Maverick. I am surprised of the Tar nomination. I don't remember too much editing going on in that film. You will always have the Boz Lerman flick out for best editing because he is such a spastic kind of director that the cuts are all over the place. But for me, this is Paul Rogers for Everything Everywhere All at Once.
1: I see this one going to Tar. Really? But why? I, do. I mean, everything, everywhere, all at once must have been a task and a half. I can't imagine Paul Rogers did it completely alone, but editing isn't just like, okay, we shot all this stuff and we need to splice it together quickly because this is a scene with a bunch of quick cuts. It's choosing takes, it's positioning things and deciding whether or not certain elements belong there. I think what made me like Tar a little bit more than you were these moments where she – like the moment where she's running in the park when she hears what sounds like a woman being assaulted, screaming like help. And she goes trying to look for her and then nothing comes of it and it's never talked about again. They threw that scene in there. Why? Or the scene where she sees – the ghost in her house. And like, she like wakes up in the middle of the night and shit's been moved around, choosing where, what moments or what point in the film to pop in these strange little scenes that nothing ever comes of them.
0: Yes and no. Like the director is always kind of with the editor. Like I feel like editing and writing have the same philosophy. Like with writing, the first draft is yours. The first draft is for you. And then after that, you're going to get notes from everybody under the sun of how to change it to better fit what the director's vision is, what the studio's vision is, and everything like that. I think editing, very similar. The first cut is for you. And then the director will jump in and be like, okay, I want this, I want that. But nothing like the randomness of the story is going to be like that's the writer director giving that to them of like women screaming and stuff like that. It would be the cuts used to portray emotion that would be up for this. Fun fact, the Vegas odds has Top Gun Maverick as running away with this Oscar. We have four categories left before the top six. So, or no, top five, because we already did Best Actress. So we have Best Cinematography with James Friend, All Quiet on the Western Front. I wish I had a last name that said friend. (laughs) Darius Kanji for Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, Mandy Walker for Elvis, Roger Deakins for Empire of Light, and Florian Hoffmeister for Tar. There is one name on this list that is kind of like the John Williams of the score or the Meryl Streep of acting, which I think is Roger Deakins for Empire of Light. Totally. I think
1: a lot of people were surprised that that squeaked in, but it is Roger Deakins after all, so. Who do you think? I think it's a two-person race between... James Friend for All Quiet, and Florian Hoffmeister for Tar.
0: I agree. Moving on. (gasps) (laughs) Best costume design. Mary Zoffries for Babylon, Ruth E. Carter for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Catherine Martin for Elvis, Shirley Carrata for everything everywhere all at once, and Jenny Beaven for Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Here's a weird thing for me when it comes to like how you're saying with mimicry and everything like that, with Catherine Martin and Elvis, one, those costumes were clothes that existed at one point. So mm-hmm. like what necessarily is she like designing? Yeah. With you. <laughs> I don't wanna like shit on her trading. Sure, care, I'm sure like, the,
1: I'm sure costume designers are like, oh, it's amazing. Replicas the way she did it. It's like, eh, yeah, okay.
0: And really, sorry Babylon, like sorry Damien, sorry, three and a half hours of movies about Hollywood. So I I haven't seen that. I do remember I do remember the costumes of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, so I'll throw that out there that as far as anything on this list, I would award that one. Couldn't you say the same thing
1: about that one though that you're saying about Elvis? Because- Wakanda does not exist. Well <laughs> so- <laughs> I'm I was uh, give me a second. <laughs> I've never read the comic books, but I have to assume they at the very least copied some of those costumes directly from the panels. Yeah. Sure. But that's
0: that's but they, but they never the existed books, books, before. Yeah, it's not three D or anything like that. Like okay. she's like looking at that and being like, "How do I make the fabric drape this way and stuff like that?" I would like to see everything,
1: everywhere. Take this one, and then uh, I want a, a shot of Racconi in the chef hat. Okay, uh, <laughs> next
0: best makeup and hairstyling. We have Heike Merker and Linda Eisenhamarova for All Quiet on the Western Front. Naomi Don and Mike Marino and Mike Fontaine for the Batman. Camille, friend. Oh, I wonder if Camille, friend, and James, friend, they're our friends. <laughs> <laughs> Camille, friend, and Joel Harlow for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Mark Coulier, Jason Baird, and Aldo Signoretti for Elvis. Adrienne Morit, Judy Chin, and Anne Marie Bradley for the Whale. Now, obviously, the whale is on here for the fat suit, which has been getting a whole lot of hate from uh, fat people. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think. There's got to be like like weightest, like fattest, or fat shamers, fat shamers, but not fat shamers. Oh, Overweight right. people that don't like that Hollywood uses fat suits and stuff like that. So mm. the Batman got like a lot of these like technical loves. This one though. To me, and we'll get into it at best acting, I think it's Colin Farrell's acting that makes him unrecognizable as the penguin in the Batman. Oh, I um, think the makeup helps. <laughs> well, the makeup always will help. So I would say probably it's a two race between the Batman and the whale. I think so, huh? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see Elvis take this one.
1: Really? Well, I mean, you got the Tom Hanks. But you mm-hmm. could... Oh, fuck, that was just Tom Hanks and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, the, uh, think of all the makeup and hairstyling that had to happen to Austin Butler. It's, he's a pretty dude. He is, but I just watched him on Hot Ones and he's a boring dude as well.
0: Oh, uh-huh. Sorry, Austin. He's like the next. What was his face from Baby Driver? Oh, Anson Elgort. Ansel- yeah. So best production design: Christian M. Goldbeck and Ernestine Hipper for All Quiet on the Western Front. Dylan Cole, Ben Proctor, and Vanessa Cole for Avatar: The Way of the Water. For Lorenzia Martin and Anthony Carlino for Babylon. Catherine Martin, Karen Murphy, and Bev Dunn for Elvis and Rick Carter and Karen O'Hara for The Fablements. I, I don't get know this, why I want to burn get... that ship down so much, but I yeah, right. <laughs> you really do. I still don't get this. I and mean, we've had this discussion
1: before. Why is Avatar The Way of Water up for this award? I guess I always thought production design is like sets, and there are no sets in Avatar The Way of Water. <laughs> it's all digital. I guess I, I'm like, why isn't that just lumped in with visual effects?
0: But I'm sure this- somebody could explain to me why I'm wrong. Well, I agree with you because I remember watching 1917 and being like, oh, it's amazing with like the dead horses in the field and stuff like that. In 1917, like there was a behind the scenes that showed how much of that was green screen and digital effects. And so with All Quiet on the Western Front, I was immediately like in it. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at like the visualizations that they have going on here. And then being like, but I don't know, because 1917 tricked me. And this probably is all fake. So There has to be some inner workings of like what qualifies or what should qualify in the future between visual effects and production design. Because I think a lot of people are just phoning it in with, and it's not phoning it in, obviously, because there's a craft to it. But when it comes to production design, what should qualify based off of how much visual effects is utilized?
1: I would like to see All Quiet win this one, but I think it's gonna be either Babylon or the Fablement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope not the Fablement, but I, you know what? Babylon, from what I saw from the trailers, I think I would be fine with. Best Supporting Actor. All
1: right. Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inisherin*. Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans. Barry Kogan for The Banshees of Inishirin. And Kiwi Kwan for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Any sporting actors you think might've gotten snubbed, Mr. Spro?
0: I'm going to say two things. One, I don't know. And two, this category feels like a mess to me. I believe Kiwi Kwan and Barry Kogan belong here, and that might be it. I'd be happy with either of them taking it home. Well, then I'm going to say one thing, and that's, I'm
1: really looking forward to Kiwi Kwan's acceptance speech. This guy for the past few months has just been soaking up all the pageantry, the adoration. Guy takes selfies like a crazy man. His Instagram is a real treat to follow. He just oozes passion and gratitude. And while I kind of hate that the other nominees really have no chance in hell, I'm still so happy for this guy.
0: Sweet. (laughs) Moving on to Best Supporting Actress.
1: Up for Best Supporting Actress are Angela Bassett from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow from The Whale, Carrie Condon from The Banshees of Inishirin, Jamie Lee Curtis from Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Sue from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Before we talk about this one, I find it very interesting that my two favorite films of the year, Everything Everywhere All at Once and The Banshees of Inishirin, have so many acting nominations. Do you think any of them should not have been given? <laughs> I don't, I I don't understand why Jamie Lee Curtis is on here, frankly, but.
0: Okay. And I'm similarly, but like, if we're going to talk snubs, does anybody not deserve to be up here? Dolly DeLeon from Triangle of Sadness shows up, shows out, takes the bitch over. She shows up late in the film. Like That one is a huge snub. And really, I would put it as one of the best performances of the year. So not only does she deserve a nomination, I would say she deserves to have her name in the running for a win. She's in the whole movie. Do you remember the scene when the
1: lady's like, you want me to clean housekeeping?
0: Yeah. That's
1: her. Did you pick up that?
0: Oh, yeah. But I'm saying like, it's not until like her scene where she's like, I caught the fish. I cleaned the fish. I cut the fish. I made the fire. Like, I'm like, who is this woman? Like, I (laughs) have like, I loved every scene that she was in.
3: Why do you get so much food? Why? I caught the fish. Yes,
4: I made the fire and I cooked. I did all the work. And
3: everybody got something. Hmm. No. No, we all, we all worked. What did you do? We gathered all the wood for the fire. Hmm. I moved the log. Yeah, this big log, it was over there and we moved it over here. Not enough. No, maybe not enough, but we need to work together. They don't know how to do that. Exactly. And maybe that's why you should not be so lazy and dependent on me.
0: Triangle of Sadness, I think, got shut out of this category for, for any one of these awards, yeah. Well, I mean,
1: nobody's gonna, on this show, is gonna say anything about Angela Bassett other than she's a wonderful actress, a fine actress. The 90s were her time. I remember first seeing her, I think, in Malcolm X or Boys in the Hood. I still think her best performance is Strange Days. I actually have never seen how Stella got her groove back, but <laughs> I would be willing to watch it. It's just never come up, you know? It's never come up. If Bassett wins this award, and once again, it looks like this one's all sewn up, it's going to be because she's never won before. But if you want my opinion, I think Hong Chao should get this award. She is a knockout in both the whale and in the menu. In fact, in the menu, I was more scared of her than I was of Ray Fine. Well, She's, she's
0: fucking great. And I would pick Dolly de Leon from Triangle of Sadness, who's not even nominated. Out of anybody probably going to attend the award show this year, Angela Bassett is one that would be such a treat. She also has an interview with the Awards Chatter podcast. And just listening to her, I was like, God damn. She's <laughs> a like, cool lady. Woman. Oh, yeah. Just so well poised and everything.
1: All right. Well, we already talked about Best Actress, so let's get to Best Actor. Austin Butler for Elvis. Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale. Paul Mescal for Aftersun and Bill Nye for Living. Any notable snubs in this category, bro? I would say this is a pretty competent list, No. Okay. So for a long time, Brendan Fraser was the favorite to win this for his performance in The Whale, which I think is deserved. Briefly, there was talk of Colin Farrell for Banshees, which I also think is deserved. But since the Golden Globes, it seems as though your front runner is Austin Butler for playing Elvis Presley. I didn't like Elvis, the movie. I don't have any beefs with Elvis the dude but the movie did not land with me. And Butler's performance, again, I talked about this at the beginning, and I'm on about it again. It's mimicry. It's good mimicry, but it's still just an impersonation. And while I think that sort of performance has its place, I'm tired of its place being in the Oscars. Tired of it.
0: (laughs) And I'm kind of with you, but this to me is like Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network. This role seemed to be made for Butler, and he will never, never have this opportunity again. So do we reward that? Do we give him a once in a lifetime award? To me, I wonder how good Fraser was versus our love of his real life Cinderella story here. Colin Farrell was fine in Banshees, but I don't think he necessarily stood out. Like you need his- to rewatch it then, because he, oh he absolutely stands out. The anger that bubbles
1: underneath his niceness is there from the beginning. Like the first scene you see him in, he's got a big dopey smile on his face as he's walking through the town saying hello to everyone. But man, when he gets drunk, talking to me, are you? He's fucking great, you're fucking crazy And that is a performance that he built up Together with his co-stars and his director and writer And not from watching film About this person Because they never existed So (laughs) fuck you, Austin Butler And fuck Elvis and fuck Boz Lorman Fuck them all But he's probably going to win, right?
0: (laughs) Uh, Right now, according to Vegas Odds It's Brendan Fraser for The Whale Okay. She saved him
3: She wasn't trying to hurt him She was trying to help him
2: Who are you talking about?
3: He's going home. She did that. Charlie.
4: She didn't do it to hurt
3: him. She did it to send him home.
2: Do you feel lightheaded, Charlie? Look at me.
3: She's trying to help him. Who? Ellie. She was trying to help him. She just wanted to send him home. Do you ever get the feeling uh, people are incapable of not caring.
4: People are amazing.
1: I was trying to think back to all the times that someone has been resurrected by Tarantino and, and others. I was thinking of how much we thought we were going to see Bill Murray win Best Actor for Lost in Translation, how much we thought we were going to see Michael Keaton win Best Actor for Birdman, how much we thought maybe Robert Forrester has a chance to win Best Supporting Actor in Jackie Brown, and none of them ever panned out. And Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights, it never happens.
0: I don't know. Like I trust the fact that everybody loves Brendan Fraser's story. It's also Hollywood being like, sorry, we allowed that molestation to happen, and we hope you have a good day. So, you know, I love Brendan Fraser. I love Brendan Fraser. He was my childhood, man. He was Encino Man. He was School Ties. He was- School uh, Ties. <laughs> I love that. Dude, I love that movie. I love Oh that my movie. gosh. Like that deserves a rewatch. Georgia the Jungle, I never really got into. Yeah, there's no, he started movie making that, like,
1: like kids movies when we stopped being kids.
0: The Mummy was one, but there's Monkey born. Bone. What was around the Encino Man era that I'm fucking forgetting right now? Airheads. Airheads. That's it. That's a second chance cinema. That's on the list. That's a great So movie. yeah, I am glad that he is happy and back, and I'm excited to see him thrive. Remember when he played Jordan's
1: little brother on Scrubs, and then he got leukemia? Mm, Oh. Yeah, yeah dude. That's a, that's a <laughs> couple episode arc that fucks me up a little bit. When Dr. Cox thinks they're going to his son's birthday party, and JD's like, where do you think we are? And he looks around, and they're in a fucking graveyard. mm What a great fucking show, dude. Scrubs is such a... All right.
2: Eagle. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let's do a Scrubs podcast.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Brendan Fraser.
1: Yeah. I'd be okay if he wins, but I can't remember a time that I've wanted an award for someone so badly. I think the last time was Social Network. And before that was No Country for Old Men. I wanted to see the Coens really win, and they did. I wanted to see Fincher really win, and he didn't. So yeah, it's been over 10 years since there was an award where
0: I'm like, please. But he's not going to... So you want Colin for this one? As, of course. This is, your, this is your baby award for the oh, night? Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: Now, I'm sitting here next to you, and if you're going back inside, I'm following you inside. And if you're going home, I'm following you there too. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. And if I've said something to you, maybe I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it, but I don't think I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it. But if I did, then tell me what it was. And I'll say sorry for that too, Colin.
3: Uh, with all me
2: heart, I'll say sorry. Just... Stop running away from me like some fool of a moody schoolchild.
4: But you didn't say anything to me. And you didn't do anything to me. Well, that's what I was thinking, like. I just don't like you no more. You do like me. I don't. Did you liked me yesterday? Oh, did I? Yeah. I thought you did.
1: Not to mention everything you hear about the man. I mean, not not that Brendan Fraser, you don't also hear great things, but everybody's just, I'm, I mean, Brendan Fraser's fine, but like, why, why do why does the internet latch onto people like, this man should be fucking worshiped. It's like, wh- why?
0: Because you, you have fond memories of him? Get the fuck out of here. No, 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 it's because they wronged him once. It's the same thing with Andrew Garfield of Spider-Man because nobody liked him back in the day. And then when he came back out in No Way Home, they're like, no, no, no. He's a treasure. He deserves the third one. It's, right. it's, it's nostalgic regret. like Yeah, there's so. you trying to come up with
1: a word for nostalgic regret again.
0: <laughs> just, it's just regret. <laughs> yeah. They regret how they treated him in the past. And now that he has done something good again, they go, you know what? He was always great. And I'm not going to self-reflect and say that I was one of the ones that shitted on him in the past. Let's do Best Director. The nominees are Martin McDonough for The Banshees
1: of Inisherin*, The Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All At Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fabelmans*, Todd Field for Tar, and Reuben Ostlin for Triangle of Sadness. Anybody that's not on this list that you think should have been?
0: Well, if you asked the snubberies, they would tell you a female director needed to make the cut. Mm-hmm. The only one I would say should have got into the top five is probably Charlotte Wells for After Sun. So I would probably agree that she deserves. Uh, it's very, oak. it's
1: very good. I, I think the direction's it's good. It she shows promise. I just think it's it's still very. I don't I don't want to say it without being insulting, but it feels at times very amateurish. Just her framing and her lot of handhelds. And I know that she's trying to recreate a memory, and it, it works very well. But it does get tiresome after a while. You're like, am I watching a movie or an, an REM video?
0: Huh. I think I mentioned this behind the scenes of I know movies and you don't and I don't know if I've necessarily said it on recording but like with the Fablemans, the one scene that stands out for me is Michelle Williams is serving breakfast and you can tell that the skillet was not used to make the food and you could tell that the food is actually like cold potatoes that she's scooping on the thing which to me is amateurish like it's an attention to detail so overtly overlooked it reminded me of American Sniper with Clint Eastwood directing and the horrible fake baby that they had in that the fact that more people aren't making fun and I, I brought it up to kyle of i know movies and you don't and he immediately knew what scene that i was talking about so it does stand out to multiple people but because it's spielberg nobody wants to shit on it it's good argument i mean you give me wells
1: charlotte wells over steven spielberg and you're not gonna hear any complaints from me i'm surprised you're not putting a bid in for edward Berger for all quiet um yeah this was your favorite film of the year dude can you find can you can you dig deep for some fucking passion for christ's sake I guess. Yeah, maybe. So
0: you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're doing here. <laughs> well, which, which so I would take out Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, for Charlotte Wells for Aftersun, and then I would take out- uh, All of those
1: yeah. other ones belong up there.
0: I know. So I cannot be a feminist today. And I would put up Berger for All Quiet on the Western Front over Steven Spielberg. Of course, over Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. Did you see Fablemans yet?
1: It's only five ninety nine dollars on Amazon and I went to rent it and I was like, no. I watched Top Gun Maverick, did my due diligence for the masses for populist film. I had no interest in Avatar The Way of Water or The Fablement. <laughs> So most people think that Spielberg is going to win his third Oscar for Best Directing. I'm inclined to agree, but I hope I'm wrong. Literally any of the other four nominees would surprise and delight me, especially the Daniels.
0: But Spielberg needs no further accolades. What was Spielberg's last great film? Not good, not comparable, not, well, it's better than Ron Howard. What would you say is his last great film? You know, it feels like he made Edge of Tomorrow, but he didn't. I haven't seen all of them, so. Well, you don't have to see BFG to know that that's not his last great film. (laughs) For me, it's Saving Private Ryan in 1998. And that has been 25 years. He has made 16 uh, films since. I don't even think that's a great movie. I think it's a great
1: opening scene, but I don't think it's a great movie. I would go back even further. I would go back another five years to the year that he made Jurassic Park and Schindler's
0: List. 30 years ago was his last great film, and we're still talking about it. (laughs) I think Munich comes close. And I think like I got a bad taste in my mouth last year when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock on stage and nobody stood up and they're like, well, they were powerless. Like, what could they do? And I'm like, Steven Spielberg is not powerless sitting in that room. Steven Spielberg somehow got a nomination for best director of the Fablements and is in talks of actually winning this award because of his power, not because of the product. So you're telling me that that man (laughs) couldn't have stood up for Chris Rock in the... I don't know. So... Fuck Steven Spielberg. Like, I just don't... (laughs) Somebody explain to me why we're still celebrating this man that is not churning out the best films every single year and has actually not churned out a best film for close to 30 years. Part of it, I think, my anger comes from the fact that I saw the trailer for the Fablemans and was excited. I was actually excited. I think I texted you and said, "Ooh, this next one, it looks good. It looks like Steven Spielberg is doing exactly what I want him to do." That was me thinking that I could bend over and pick up the soap in the prison shower. He fucked me in the ass. That so. was yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's the passion I was looking for earlier. <laughs> it's it's all hate. So you think he's going to win too? I don't. I actually think that that award will go to the Daniels. So the only thing that would ruin it is if Spielberg... Wins? Harvey Weinstein's himself in there.
1: Oh, wow. Using him in the same sense as, as Weinstein, eh? It's well,
0: not, not in like the molester sense, but in the... Backroom power deals.
1: All right. Well, that leaves us with only the best picture of 2023 to talk about. And the nominees are... All Quiet on the Western Front. Avatar The Way of Water. The Banshees of Inishirin. Elvis. Everything Everywhere All at Once. The
0: Fablement, Tar. Top Gun Maverick. Triangle of Sadness. And women talking. Any best picture snubs? Before we get into that, eliminate three of these that just should not be up here, that don't have a snowball chance in hell of winning, and yet have been nominated in this zany 10 nominee category Avatar, The Way of Water. Okay. Women Talking. Okay. (laughs) Triangle
1: of Sadness. (gasps) What the fuck? (laughs) why you said that don't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning you didn't say you didn't say if i like them i would have taken top gun maverick
0: off you're right i i worded that question wrong because i was like what the fuck like Triangle of sandus is is such a good movie i agreed i agree the only snub i would say is white noise especially with how prevalent it is actually today I think a lot of people would
1: say nope. Not only got snubbed in this category, but every other category. I was really shocked that it didn't get any nominations. Were you pleasantly shocked though? Uh, I mean, I don't wish Jordan Peele or the, or his movie Ill Will, but Do you I'm think glad
0: Oscars got it right that they didn't
1: nominate anything. Yes, but you know what? Okay, though? that's all. I'm you just know. trying
0: to get this. I'm just trying to get the
1: darkness out of you. Nope should be there instead of Top Gun Maverick for top film. Yes. Over White Noise? Because I know you like White Noise. I did like White Noise. But if White Noise was on here, it would be a pat on the back nomination. There's no way it would it would have a snowball's chance in hell of
0: winning. Gotcha. The other one that I'm really surprised, it got no traction whatsoever, was She Said. I'm maybe women talking and tar and She Said it was just too much of the same topic. Yeah, but is Tar saying something about about women. I think it's saying that
1: anybody, when put into a position of power, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their gender, has the potential to be a piece of shit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all pretty much Hollywood pointing to itself and being like, "We're gonna do better," in a way, but also we are guiltless of all the events that happened before us. You know, I guess it is weird that she said wasn't nominated for anything because Bombshell was, and I would say she said was a better movie than Bombshell.
1: It's pretty good. I think like most people, I believe Everything Everywhere All At Once is gonna take Best Picture. It feels like it has the most juice. It'll be almost a year since it was released when the, the award ceremony happens. Social media is still loving on it. It got a re-release in July and a re-release in January. Tons of strong Oscar nominated performances with very therapeutic character arcs. It's silly, it's sweet, it's sad, it's unique, and it's engaging. It's also A24's highest grossing release of all time.
4: What's happening?
2: Evelyn, I'm not your husband. I'm another version of one from another universe. Mm-hmm. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today, I've whole time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyn's. You can access all of their memories, their emotions skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses and you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you, I am really good. I don't believe you.
4: Wow,
3: i looks really good. He's waiting in the wings The universe
2: he speaks of senseless sense things Is so much bigger than you, and me. than you realize Of all the places I could be I just want to share with you Remember our mission Concerning the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse
3: There is no way I am the Evelyn you are looking for.
2: Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it.
4: I'll be
1: happy if Everything Everywhere All At Once, or Banshees wins. I prefer Banshees, but I'd be happy with either. So if I had a ballot in front of me, if I was voting, my vote would go to the Banshees of Inishirin. But everything, everywhere, all at once, that would be my runner-up.
0: Gotcha. And with me, All Quiet on the Western Front is one of those movies that I really enjoyed. But in the same instance, I'm still that like pro-American type person where it's like, there's a category for international film and that All Quiet on the Western Front should run away with that. Based off of those standards, then I would say that I would pick everything everywhere all at once for my number one. Banshees and then Triangle of Sadness are kind of two and three, but tied. I was thinking about it after I asked you about what your baby is with Colin Farrell and best actor. And I was like, who is the one person that I really want to see win an award, regardless if they're the top runner or not. And it's funny because it's also from Banshees. And I think it's got to be Barry Kogan for best supporting actor. To me, and I've been posting on about social media, like that performance just wrecked me and made me laugh and everything. So that would be my baby. And he doesn't have a chance, really. I mean, he's got a chance. Everybody that's nominated has a chance, but he doesn't have a chance necessarily. I think we're both going to be disappointed on Oscar night for our babies.
3: I'm glad I caught you, actually, because there was something I was wanting to ask you, actually. And discovering how much we have in common, well, just makes me want to ask you even more. We don't have anything in common. Uh, don't skip ahead. But yeah, what I was wanting to ask you was something along the lines of should have planned this, really. But yeah, what I was wanting to ask you was you probably wouldn't ever want to, I don't know, to fall in love with a boy like me, would you? Oh, Dominic, I don't think so, love. Oh, yeah, no. I, I was thinking no. Not even in the future, like, like when I'm your age. Yeah, no. I didn't think so. Just thought I'd ask in the off chance. You know, like, thin heart and that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes that dream. Well, i best go over there and do whatever that thing over there I was going to do was. This is the second time you've done this. You are
1: you've written something, but then you've changed your mind.
0: Yeah, because I am a free thinker. <laughs> <laughs> but but you, wrote, I can do what I want. But you wrote it. I
1: feel like you're going with everything everywhere because everybody else is. Um, Thoughts on that? Are, are you being a, a
0: bad little sheep? Let me point this out. I don't think this is a good year for best pitcher. Do I want it to win best pitcher? No, because of the hot dog figures. The Banshees of Inesheeran, I had to watch it twice to get it. Not Elvis, not Avatar, The Way of the Water. All Quiet on the Western Front is not an English-speaking film. The Fablemans, fuck right off. Tar, <laughs> Tar was pretty boring. Top Gun is a populist pick. Women talking, eh. And then Triangle of Sadness, I really liked. But come on now, it is a comedy that is over two hours long. It is too it's, long. It is way too long. So like, am I happy with like any of these, or what can I stomach? everything everywhere all at once i can stomach the banshees i can stomach and triangle of sadness i could stomach and then everything else i would be like Ugh. but are we going to do <laughs> best picture of the world 2022 next year and probably find something better i can almost 99 percent guarantee it so did that satisfy your fucking yeah. question yeah fucking did, answer? It, oh. <laughs> so did she tell you he's mean to you you should not stand for that be mean back <laughs> So, but I love the fact that Everything Everywhere came out so long ago and stuck in everybody's mind as something to be nominated. And now it has been. But usually these films that come out earlier in the year, say summer or even spring, do not have a chance to win an Oscar because everybody is doing their Oscar dump in November and December. I really enjoy the fact that Everything Everywhere was like slotted in from the get
1: Well, that does it for our Oscar companion, 2023. Check out the show. And by the show, I mean, of course, the Oscars. Sunday, March 12th at 8 o'clock Eastern time. Nope, it'll be 7 o'clock Eastern time. I can math.
0: Red carpet usually starts around 4.30, 5 o'clock. Okay. And it'll be on
1: ABC, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. And after it's done, Spro and I will be back for our Oscar wrap-up episode, hopefully with a special guest, maybe, maybe not. And we might be talking about the first ever Best Picture winner to feature butt plugs. And that's it, Spro. This was fun.
0: Always. I'm excited. I'm always, this makes me excited for the award show. And I hope the award show is everything that we have ever wanted it to be for our entire lives.
1: Oh, there you go. Uh, Oh! clever well (laughs) until then i'm lee i'm sprout we'll definitely be sitting front row when the envelopes are red we hope you are too
4: James Christian Kimmel, your reputation precedes you. Thank you. Not in a good way. Oh. This is Rear Admiral Bates. I'm Vice Admiral Beau Cyclone Simpson. That is an awesome name. I know. We've summoned you here today to talk about the Oscars. I have to admit, I wasn't expecting to be asked to host again. Well, let me be perfectly clear. You were not my first choice, or my second choice, or my third, fourth, fifth, or 11th choice. In fact, we asked a lot of people before you. Well, I'd rather not know who they were. Let me tell you. <laughs> Whoopi we'll Goldberg, Tina Fey, Jon Stewart, Chris Rock. Letterman, Leno, Arsenio, Magic Johnson, Chevy Chase, a child dressed as a pirate. Well, those are pretty good. Steve Martin, Steve Carell, Steve Buscemi, Steve Austin, Steve Seagal, Steve Urkel, Steve from Blue's Clues. That's just the Steves. Did you ask Steve Harvey? Begged, Steve Harvey. He would have been good. Good? Are you kidding? Steve Harvey would have been incredible. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not important right now. Warlock, tell him about the mission. The objective is the 3,332-seat Dolby Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Inside is the 95th Oscars, a three-hour celebration of- (laughs) Three hours, right. A three-hour celebration of cinema, featuring the biggest movie stars in the world. ABC has tasked us with finding a host who is unflappable and unslappable. Good. Oh, that's good. Because I can't get slapped. I, I cry a lot. Tell us your plan of attack. Well,. That's a big audience of very nervous famous people. So I'd probably start with something self-deprecating to break the ice, joke about how I'm wearing two sets of spanks, maybe something about the magic of storytelling, they love that. And then I'll lead a standing ovation for someone old and if I make it out, there's only four or five hours left until we give best picture to hopefully the right movie. What do you think? I think we made a terrible mistake. You know, you don't have to take this job. I actually do, I went all in on crypto and I'm about to lose my condominium. So, I mean, unless you got somebody better, I'm your guy.